everyone, and welcome to the Vital Signs of Democracy podcast. Is democracy threatened in America? Because we never thought in our lifetimes we would be asking that question. Yet, here we are, seemingly more polarized than any other time in our history. So our goal in this podcast isn't to tell you the news, but to help us understand how the stories we hear and believe are crafted for other reasons and how that impacts our belief in a democratic form of governance. We're gonna slow down and take a deep look at motivations, interpretations, and yes, the facts themselves. I'm Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-publisher of The Fulcrum. I'm also the president and CEO of Bridge Alliance, which is a coalition of almost 600 organizations who are working to bring about a thriving, just, and healthy democratic republic. You can learn more about our work at bridgealliance.us. And I'm David Reardon, Director of Vital Signs of Democracy. Every two weeks, we publish a rating of the threat level to democracy in this country based on our unique narrative analysis of the news. And we pay particular attention to how both Make America Great narratives from the Biden Democrats and the MAGA Republicans are garnering support from their voters or not. You can find our latest rating at vitalsignsofdemocracy.com. Hey, David, it's so good to be with you today. So I noticed the threat assessment that you released for August 1st through the 15th of 2023 dropped to a four, a moderate category. And on your vital signs of democracy scale of one to 10, this was the first time in a while that we've actually seen something below a five. Can you say a little bit about that? It's great to be with you again, Debbie Lynn. And in more normal times, we think of August as kind of a dead month. I mean, Congress is out of session, families are finishing up their vacations, and some kids are getting ready to go back to school. However, as we've said, these are not normal times. And in this hyper-political reality show we find ourselves in this year, no one waited until after Labor Day to get busy with their 2024 election campaigns as they usually do where they wait until the fall. Let me give the audience some context for how I'm going to answer your inquiry about what we're seeing in our VSD narrative analysis of the news about democracy in this country. When we talk about the level of threat to democracy in America, what we are always looking for is the level of uncertainty in each of the 10 categories of news we analyze from a narrative perspective every two weeks. Our theory of the case continues to be the more uncertainty in America, the more likely voters fueled by their longing for more stability will choose a more autocratic candidate for president in 2024 that promises them they will provide them some relief in return for their undying loyalty. The last scan you were talking about covered the first two weeks of August, and as I already said, historically, August is a dead month. So, in some ways, it didn't surprise us that the threat rating for the first two weeks of August was lower than it had been in a while, because there just seemed to be less overall activity and no new red flags to speak of. In the next threat scan rating, however, that we just released, we were surprised about how much the news had picked up. No one seemed to be waiting until after Labor Day weekend to get into gear for the 2024 campaigns. So with that in mind, what we were really curious about in this latest scan was the continuing fallout from the first Republican debate 
and how the Biden Democrats were addressing their continuing low poll numbers on issues like the economy. Well, you, you brought up the debate, and I, I do have to a little quibble there because they are hardly debates, in my opinion. But let's go there. Well, you're not wrong about that. Our presidential debates, like lots of things in this culture war environment, have regressed to collections of outrageous soundbites. But from a narrative view, they are still very interesting to us at Vital Signs for looking at the stories that are being spun by primary candidates that may indicate what mega-Republicans are going to run on in 2024. And of course, the elephant in the room for this first Republican debate was obviously Trump did not attend. When you're ahead by 40 points over your nearest rival, common political wisdom says you do not give your opponents the chance to hurt you by debating. Plus, Trump was just a little bit busy being indicted for the fourth time this one concerning his alleged interference with the 2020 election in Georgia. So that left the stage to his eight primary challengers, ranging from MAGA Governor Ron DeSantis to the more moderate former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The debate was presented by Fox News, so the first thing we noticed was their questions emerged from the same alternative reality that MAGA Republicans and Fox News continues to promote to their MAGA audience. My favorite Fox News story in our last news scan was that Biden was somehow responsible for letting the hurricane into Southern California. In spite of that being somewhat humorous, our narrative analysis sees this as a real disservice to the American people by continuing to promote disinformation. Now, don't get me wrong, progressive media outlets like CNN and MSNBC also have their biases but they generally don't outright lie to their audiences. The danger in doing that is this. When you focus on culture war gotchas, instead of addressing the real challenges we face as Americans, you get this confusing feedback loop on the conservative side of the aisle, where Republican candidates end up competing to be the best culture warrior for Trump's 35% base instead of addressing what independent voters want to hear for the general election. As more moderate conservative pundits continue to point out, if the Republicans continue to live in this MAGA bubble, they could lose the 2024 election just like they have the last two. Now, the one candidate everybody did notice, according to our narrative analysis, was newcomer Vivek Ramaswamy, the self-proclaimed Silicon Valley millionaire. Of all the folks on stage, he was the one that seemed to be positioning himself as the millennial Trump wannabe, or perhaps was auditioning for VP if Trump gets the Republican nomination. It's a sign of the times that Vivek stood out from others on stage as a young, energetic, some would say manic, millennial. He showed up willing to promote Trumpian themes like climate change is a hoax or calling out black activists as modern-day KKK members would stimulate a healthy debate about racism in America. In addition to Ramaswamy's surprise emergence, most of the MAGA Republican candidates on stage also continue to promote their desire for some sort of nationwide ban on abortion. This is in spite of them losing on this issue every time it's on the ballot, even in red states. 
And six of the eight candidates, when asked if they would support Trump as the nominee if he was convicted of felony charges, said yes. That directly counters the polls that say 52% of Republicans will not vote for him if he's convicted. The general election number is even bigger. It's 63% of Americans think he should not run if convicted. So it's strange to us that the MAGA Republicans are still promoting these stories that have lost them the last two general elections. I mean, you would think, based on their electoral failures, that they would change their story to something that would appeal to independent voters who decide who wins our general elections. But apparently, that message has not gotten through to them yet. I mean, to be fair, it must be hard to consider someone else when Trump continues dominating their story space leading into the Republican primaries. Well, I I have to confess that I didn't watch it at all. Uh, I did see a few clips. But I really find debates, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, uh, to be devoid of really any valuable information. Uh, It's more like a freak show where reason and civil discourse are just absent and they're playing playing to the audience, if you will. It's a show. I I believe the debates become fodder for the conflict profiteers, and they continue shepherding us towards an apocalyptic narrative, which, quite frankly, I'd rather not live through. What I do find more helpful, though, is talking with people who see the world differently from me. And on a previous podcast, I've mentioned one of my longtime friends is a Trump supporter in California. She did watch the debates, and she really liked Vivek's Ramaswamy. I learned to say it, Vivek rhymes with cake, Vivek Ramaswamy. We've been discussing privately, you know, how we can see the same situation. And then between the two of us, we interpret it in vastly different ways. You know, she sees the government as the problem and she assigns authoritarian motives to Democrats. And I see the MAGA supporters as leaning into authoritarianism as a way for the minority of people that you just mentioned in like, you know, they've been losing the popular vote for many years now, many election cycles now, leaning into authoritarianism as a way for the minority of people to hold on to power, despite what the majority wants. That's actually not democracy. That's actually autocracy. And and there's this uh, backwards mind flip, in my opinion. Uh, So my thoughts are that we actually need to keep talking to everyday people and develop some mitigation strategies to address these conflict profiteers. So, yeah, their freedom of speech is allowed, but it's insignificant uh, in its impact on our social norms. And I bet you have some more to say. What you're pointing out to me in the differences between you and your friend is the power of the competing Make America Great stories that are driving our current political discourse. These two visions of the future of America are diametrically opposed to each other. However, what both parties are missing, in our view, is a narrative that can attract a majority of Americans that includes the moderates of the other party. Until someone comes up with that, your conversations with your friend represent an instability in America that results by not debating with each other from a common set of facts. And historically, the lack of stability has not been a positive thing for democracies anywhere in the world. Now, I do applaud your efforts to continue the conversation with her. Perhaps, if the MAGA Republicans lose again, we could find a common story that the majority of Americans can agree to, including your friend. So the narratives that came out of the first Republican debate 
seemed to be good news for Democrats, right? None of the eight candidates on stage seemed remotely presidential as they squabbled with each other about who could be the better culture warrior. And it is good news for Democrats as far as it goes. But our narrative analysis is picking up a weakness in President Biden's support among the coalition that got him elected in 2020. And that could explain the current polls that have Trump and Biden running neck and neck in spite of Trump being indicted four different times. Now, it's early yet, but Democrats' insistence that they're going to run on Bidenomics, even though their poll numbers on the economy are still very low, leaves the narrative prediction field for us very murky and uncertain. For one thing, 70% of American voters say they would prefer someone else than either Trump or Biden. That's not a ringing endorsement for either one of them. Biden is still being impacted by issues of his age and mental capacities, and Trump will more than likely be on trial for his role in the January 6th insurrection in the middle of the Republican primaries. And even though Trump and his allies have now been charged in four different felony indictments, the question remains if any of those trials before a jury will conclude one way or another before the 2024 election. I mean, imagine the instability that would result if Trump was elected again and then is convicted of one or more felonies, including leading a coup against the peaceful transfer of power for the 2020 election. But let's say his felony convictions do persuade the majority of American voters to choose President Biden. What are the 70 million or so Republican voters going to do with that? If Trumpism is finally put to bed, how do we get those folks that bought into his alternative reality to return to a debate based on facts within the normal guardrails of American thought? So far, our narrative analysis just doesn't see an answer to that. I guess I want to be clear, too, is like, the majority of Americans have actually decided to trust the court system to decide if there were any laws broken. But in listening to my peace builder friends who've been working around the world in conflict zones, they talk about that when people lose their leader that is authoritarian, which is what I believe Donald Trump is, they don't ever actually like say they were wrong. Like there's no like, let's break the bubble and all of his support melts away. What actually happens is that they find ways to quietly just slip away and come back into uh, the majority. And it's usually for financial reasons. It's for because they're losing friends and family and they decide they value their friends and family more than their loyalty to the authoritarian. And so I think, you know, having our expectations set for as we continue through this process of trying to become one America again, instead of the two main narratives that are out there. Let's just say, welcome, we missed you and not Hmm. go into the like, who's right and who's wrong here, because I don't think that will help us. But we can find a way to welcome people back into the same reality and move forward together with an understanding of what democracy actually is. You know, the people select and the majority wins. So that certainly sounds reasonable. But here's the tricky thing we're seeing in our VSD narrative analysis about the qualities of the MAGA story that could remain regardless of whether Trump wins again or not. What he tapped into into his run-up to the 2016 election was that 30 to 40 percent of American voters 
did not feel seen by the majority, which included moderate conservatives, independents, and liberals. According to what we tracked in that period, the unrest that the American voters felt was translated by MAGA doctrines into them identifying as victims. And that desperate victim mentality turned out to be very powerful. I mean, it drove a movement that ended up storming the Capitol in an attempt to overturn Biden's victory by force. So even if the MAGA Republicans lose again in 2024, the identification they feel as a victim of some mysterious liberal deep state conspiracy that's attempting to rob them of their freedom could remain. And from what we're seeing on the edges of the cultural conversation at the moment, we're not sure that they're going to choose to blend in again with the majority of Americans anytime soon. Ironically, if, if we are living in the drama triangle, and this is where the world is made up of victims and rescuers and persecutors, that's the, those are the only three roles available. The victim is actually the most powerful role in that scenario because it's the persecutor's fault and the rescuer is charged with doing something about it. And part of the dynamic that we're seeing unfold here in the United States is that we actually have different people trying to occupy the victim status, some with more evidence than others. What we are missing is the antidote to get out of the damn stories of victims, persecutors, and rescuers so that we can actually create the future we want. There are antidotes available for this. One is to you know, become the creator of your own life. You'd be responsible for yourself and the decisions you make. Instead of rescuing, you help coach and provide and guide people. You see others as able to, to be active in their own lives and whole persons. And you become a challenger instead of a persecutor where you tell people the tough truth or ask them the right question that makes them reflect on how they're creating something that they don't want. And, and this is the, the part that I get so frustrated with in our country today is that we spend so much time centering our attention on things that we don't want instead of thinking about and dreaming about what it is we do want. And oftentimes because people don't think about it enough and they don't know what they want, they fall back into focusing on what they don't want. And there we are back in the drama triangle all over again. So let's put a pin in the victims, perpetrators, and rescuers narrative for the moment and dive further into the problems with the Democrat Bidenomics narrative. Now, it's true that President Biden and the Democrats successfully passed legislation that is creating lots of new jobs, inflation numbers are still fairly reasonable, and the rate of unemployment is still very low all good signs that suggest that Bidenomics is a good narrative for Democrats to run on. However, those meta-narratives don't seem to be addressing two economic factors that are concerning voters that we see in our vital signs narrative analysis. And those two are the price of gas and the price of food. Those two markers are what most voters gauge their economic opinions on. And there is something hidden in the story about the price of fuel and food that is not making the headlines yet. Perhaps it's why prices of fuel and food are edging up again. Now, it's true. Many factors can play into the price of fuel and food, such as weather disruptions or 
supply chain problems, and, and we certainly had shortages as a result of the war in the Ukraine. But our narrative analysis is seeing something else. There is ample evidence in the public record that the price of fuel, for example, is still high because oil companies continue to arbitrarily set the prices per gallon at a higher rate. As most of us were still recovering from the pandemic, Big Oil more than doubled its profits in 2022. So why aren't Democrats taking this on? To be fair, President Biden has mentioned this dark truth about oil companies gouging consumers in a time of crisis in a few of his speeches. But there seems to be very little appetite among Democrats to actually do anything about it, or at the very least, point it out in their campaign messaging. Now, a partial answer that is showing up in our narrative analysis is that both MAGA Republicans and Biden Democrats are afraid of taking on big oil in the middle of a 2024 election cycle. Those anonymous super PACs that include big oil money contribute to both sides as they hedge their bets for the 2024 elections. So when we say there is a growing dis-ease among voters concerning the election, it is narratives like this one concerning big oil that are contributing to the growing uncertainty about who voters will choose in 2024. And it's much more than the clear choice we had in 2000 between Trump and Biden. So do you have any thoughts about how Democrats could pitch their economic message more successfully to a majority of the voters? One of the things the Democrats might be able to do to help themselves with the story, you know, there's been some coverage in the news, and you probably have more details on this, about the Republican members of Congress and Republican senators who voted against the infrastructure package or the CHIPS Act that are now taking credit for the jobs that have been created in their districts or in their states. And I wonder how, if Biden and and the Biden campaign team couldn't play more on that, if you will, about the jobs that are created at a local level, because that's that's getting out of the meta narrative that you're talking about, David, and into the like, this is what it means for you. Like, you know, your cousin has a job and he's not sleeping on your couch anymore. Now, that's an interesting take. It, it aligns with the stories we are seeing moderate Republican never Trumpers using in their video attack ad campaigns. They have no qualms about pointing out that MAGA Republicans that are so enamored with their culture war gotchas that they've done very little for American voters except to say no to whatever the Biden Democrats have suggested. The interesting story that came out of the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act with all its green technology support and infrastructure fixes, Republicans who voted against the bill began taking credit for the federal money when it showed up in their states. Perhaps the Democrats, in addition to pointing out what they have given the American people, also contrasted those accomplishments with what MAGA Republicans have not done for the American people. Their poll numbers on economic issues might turn around. And it also might counter the massive amount of dark money that is still attempting to keep the divisions in America alive and at each other's throats. Money in politics has been an ongoing issue that has gotten considerably worse since the Citizens United decision, which ironically was a film about Hillary Clinton, just in case people have forgotten that. If we, the people, can't see beyond that and provide the both the input to our elected officials so they can have a spine to stand up, but also some money out of our pocketbooks to help replace it, to help them get elected, 
other than, you know, reforms, which we have also talked about before in changing how we run primaries and how we actually do voting, et cetera. That's the money in politics is the last big issue that we really need to tackle to get us to a place that where government actually serves us again instead of the campaign contributors. So any last thoughts before we go? So here's something we're featuring as hidden stories in the latest vital signs scan that we think we should be paying attention to. We have occasionally talked on this podcast about the possibility of a civil war breaking out depending on the results of the 2024 election. Every time we do, it feels to me so alarmist, to be sure. But here are two news stories that popped up in our VSD latest scan that tend to make it just a little more real. With more than a year to go before the 2024 election, a group of conservative organizations is preparing for a possible second Trump White House term by recruiting thousands of Americans to come to Washington on a mission to dismantle the federal government and replace it with one that meets Trump's vision. The ultra-conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, fueled by former Trump administration officials, has created a Project 2025 handbook in an attempt to enlist an army of Americans to have the civic infrastructure in place on day one of a new Trump presidency. The purpose of this mission is to commandeer, reshape, and do away with what Republicans deride as the deep state bureaucracy. And they would in part do that by firing as many as 50,000 federal workers. This far-reaching effort is essentially a government in waiting for the former president's return or any candidate who aligns with their ideals and can defeat President Biden in 2024. When we look at this project through our narrative analysis, we identify it as a type of a blueprint for a U.S. autocracy. And our concerns are not based on either conservative or liberal doctrine, but rather on our concern as Americans. We'll include a link to the Project 2025 white paper in the podcast text. Be sure you're in a good mood when you read it, because it certainly darkened our day as independent voters. I have looked at it, and it's terrifying. Something else happened. The Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister last week let it slip in an interview that Canada is preparing a Plan B in case MAGA Republicans win the 2024 election and begin deploying autocratic methods like Trump has threatened to do on numerous occasions. We were surprised when this popped up on our vital signs narrative analysis radar. The possibility that Canada would have to be concerned with an autocratic government in the U.S., is new ground to be considered in the continuing uncertainty that surrounds this next election. And that heightened uncertainty, as we keep saying, is potentially not great news for democracy in America or around the world. And I hate to leave it there for today, but these two stories were very sobering to those of us who are paying attention to the narratives being promoted about the upcoming election. I will leave it with a little dark humor mm. on this one, because I'm picturing... Canadian political cartoons with a border challenge of too many people coming across the U.S.-Canadian border uh, trying to avoid the handmaid's tale that uh, the United States could become. And that, I mean, obviously, this is something the conflict profiteers would love to see. You know, we, we focus so much of our time and energy on what we don't want, you know, relating back to the earlier conversation. And 
it can produce unintended results in reality. Uh, there's a quote that uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is, imagination lays the tracks the reality train will follow. And if we don't start imagining a better future for ourselves, we're going to find ourselves in the in these, this very dark situation where we have a lot of what we don't want in the world and in our lives. So let's knock it off, people. And as we keep saying here on this podcast, the remedy for autocracy is for all of us to stand up as the majority of American people and push these radical narratives on either side of the aisle back out into the fringe blogs and the TikTok postings where they belong. Well, it's been a pleasure recording this podcast with you today, and I look forward to the next scan from Vital Signs of Democracy. And if you want to dive deeper into the current news stories about democracy, go to the Fulcrum magazine that is part of the Bridge Alliance at thefulcrum.us. And if you want to see the latest Vital Signs narrative analysis and rating of the current state of democracy in this country, you can do that at vitalsignsofdemocracy.com. So stay safe out there until we gather the next time on the Vital Signs of Democracy podcast. Thank you.